0: Hello and welcome to the Keep or Cut Podcast. I'm Chad Young and I'm sort of joined by Pete Ball. I'll explain that in a minute. First, just a reminder that we are a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Keep or cut that's cut with a K. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else you're listening to pods. Make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. We love to hear from you, love to get feedback. Helps us make the show better and stronger and really helps deliver what you're looking for. In addition to following the show on Twitter, you can follow me at Chad Young. You can follow Pete at Baseball. Now, as for me saying Pete is kind of with me today, Pete and I had some scheduling conflicts, had a hard time getting things together. That's what happens when your podcast studio is also your guest room and then you have family in town. So I was not able to schedule recording very easily this weekend. And as a result, Pete and I recorded separately, covered the same topic, have it set up so we can go sort of back and forth covering eight different players for you today. But you're going to hear from me, you'll hear from Pete, you'll hear from me, you'll hear from Pete, but it won't be sort of the the regular back and forth. At least you get two different voices coming at you. That's better than nothing, right? For this episode, episode 92, as we continue our countdown to 100, we are covering players we roster often and players we wish we rostered more. So I wrote an article over at Fangraphs about a week ago that covered the players I roster most on my auto new teams and that was sort of the, the inspiration for this was, all right, well, who else do we roster a lot? Even outside of the guys I covered on that article, um, I'll put the link for that in the notes so you guys can check that out. And then also at the other end of the spectrum, who are players we don't really roster, we don't have on a lot of teams that we kind of wish we did? Because there's a number of those for me, and we each picked two that we wanted to talk more about. For me, looking at this sort of experiment, this this investigation, we'll say I have 14 leagues, seven Auto New, seven outside of Auto New. I roster a total of 525 players, 274 unique players. As I said, I wrote about the Auto New side last week, and in that article, you can find my thoughts on Framber Valdez, Dalton Varsho, Pablo Lopez, Alex Cobb, Kyle Stowers, and Brandon Marsh. Those are the six players who are on at least half of my Auto New teams. Some of those guys I have outside of auto new as well. Frambers on four of my seven non auto new teams, Varsho, Marsh, and Pablo Lopez all on one Cobb and Stowers are actually not on any of my non auto new teams. That has more to do with, I think the depth of leagues and things like that, like Stowers, Marsh, even who I do have on one team. Like those are guys that in deeper leagues, I'm really interested in less deep leagues. I'm, I'm tracking them. I'm really interested in what they might do, but I'm not ready to put them on rosters. Similarly, like, Pablo Lopez, Alex Cobb. There's just a lot of pitchers out there I am interested in At the cost those guys are going at. I have them in a lot of my auto new teams because I kept them. In new leagues, their costs a little bit higher. And so I, I still like them at those costs. There's just other names there too. That compares to Dalton Varsha where I actually think the cost just got too high. And so I haven't really been drafting Varsha this year. I'm much more interested in other catchers that I think I can get good value from at, at better draft costs. So where I have Varsho, it's almost exclusively where I kept him. Regardless, Framber, Varsho, Pablo, Cobb, Stowers, and Marsh. Go check out the article at Fangraphs. You can read about them there. Today, I want to talk about some other guys that I roster pretty widely. And there are a handful of other players that I have on five or more of my 14 teams. Other than those guys I just listed, the players I have on at least five teams are Andrew Haney, Lars Newtbar, Ken Waldachuk, Spencer Steer, Itzhak Paredes, George Kirby, and Andres Jimenez. And Pete and I decided when we were doing this, we're going to take two each, a hitter and a pitcher from each of us. So I can't talk about all those guys. And I think some of them, like Lars Nubar, has been talked about plenty. I think Ken Waldachuk, there's a lot of good coverage out there from the prospect side. Same with Spencer Steer. I was really torn about talking about Itzhak Paredes, but decided that for my hitter, the guy I'm really most excited about, is Andres Jimenez and is that just because it is currently Tuesday afternoon and I am in the the afterglow the celebratory mode of hearing that Jimenez has been extended by my guardians maybe but I also really like Jimenez I'm super excited he's going to be with Cleveland for a while and he's going to be on a bunch of my teams for a while too now talking about Jimenez before I sort of I don't know before I get into why I like him before I I defend him I will say I have I've have heard the naysayers I've been told by Plenty of people that I'm that I'm overrating him. And I get it. 353 BAPIP last year. He had a 364 WOBA, which is great, but just a 326 X WOBA. Don't forget 326 X WOBA is still pretty good. He also had middling max exit velocities, pretty bad average exit velocity, a weak barrel rate. He chases too much. I hear you. There are there are reasons to be concerned, and I understand why. Why I'm being told in many cases that having him lined up as my starting second baseman is risky. I don't agree. And here is why I'm still in. So one of the reasons is that I play in a lot of keeper leagues. His cost last year was super low. it Didn't hurt to keep him fine. Let's leave that aside. because it doesn't really help you unless you picked him up last year. If you did, you should be very happy. If you didn't, here's why I still think he is worth drafting. First of all, we've seen growth from him. His barrels, hard hit, exit velocity all trending up since his rookie year and he's still developing he doesn't turn 25 until almost the end of this season he's a kid and he's still growing and developing as a player and there's a lot of sort of underlying skills there that give you reason to believe that that growth can can stick around and maybe even go further his pull rate has room to increase and he has the bat to ball skills and bat speed to pull the ball more we saw that in his rookie year he had an over 50 percent pull rate in his rookie year it was down to 40 percent this past season Last year, 2022, when he hit 17 home runs, eight of them were down the line. He's a lefty, so it's pulled down the line to right. Eight more were right center. Just one oppo. Now, could he grow into more opposite power pop? Now, could he grow into more opposite field power? Yeah, he could. But that's not actually what I'm looking for for power growth from him. I think that if he can get back to pulling the ball closer to 50% of the time, another 10% pull... There's there's 20 home run power in the bat, right? That's just three more home runs for him to get to 20. And I absolutely think he can do that. He has the benefit of, in addition to the skills he has, of playing alongside Jose Ramirez, who is sort of the, in my mind, the poster child for this, you know, getting more power out of your profile than you think you should be able to by just being able to turn on the ball on a regular basis. I think Jimenez is learning from that. I'm hoping, I guess I should say, Jimenez is learning from that. And there's a real opportunity that he can he can get to more power because of it outside of the power he stole 20 bags last year guardians are aggressive on the base paths they are well designed to take advantage of the new rules that provides some serious floor in five by five as well as some upside if he he puts up another 15 home runs 20 stolen bases like you're feeling pretty good about that and the fact that he gets 20 home runs and maybe 25 or 30 stolen bases that's not that hard to imagine we already talked about how he gets to that you know 20 home runs with just a little bit more of a pull rate you know and 25 to 30 stolen bases is really just a matter of him taking advantage of the new rules which I think he will now he also went through a stretch in the middle of the year last year where he chased a lot more but by the end of the season his chase rate was trending down his contact rate was up pitchers were in the zone less as they adjusted to his breakout he adjusted back and he didn't really show any meaningful monthly performance splits like if you go look at his month-by-month breakdown he was just good every month just kept trucking Second half, though, his K rate was down and his walk rate was up. So even though the performance sort of stayed stable, there's some underlying indicators that he was actually improving as the season went on. Get some of that improvement, get some more pull power, get these new stolen base rules. There's reason to believe that he can he can keep doing what he was doing, even with some batted ball regression. Like he's not gonna post that same 353 bat pip. He's not gonna have a WOBA 40 points higher than his ex-WOBA. I do think, I do think, that he can get a X-WOBA or that he can beat his X-WOBA. I think he will get into that pull side power and I think it will help him outperform his X-WOBA, but not by as much as as it looks like. That said, with this growth in his walk rate, with improvements in his K rate, with a little bit more pull side power, you have an opportunity for him to bring that X-WOBA up so that even as the WOBA comes down, it doesn't have to come down that far. All of that, count me in. So now that I've given you my homer pick for a bat that I've got in a bunch of my teams and I'm happy about Pete's got one for you too so
1: guys no surprise the first hitter that I have a lot of shares of if you're a long-time listener of the show or I should even say long time because this player has not really been around that long but if you've been listening to the show over the last I don't know half year or so you won't be surprised when I tell you that the hitter I have a lot of shares of is Tristan Cassis of your and my Boston Red Sox Right now on Fantasy Pros. So when I use Fantasy Pros, and if our listeners don't know what Fantasy Pros is, it's basically this awesome website where uh, I find the most valuable for their ADP data. Where as long as you make an account, you can filter their ADP data based on all the different platforms that the majority of our listeners probably play fantasy sports on. So often on Keeper Cut in our other fantasy podcasts, we cite the NFBC ADP. Um, it's nice to like filter like the last two weeks of draft champions, and it gives you a good idea of where the competitive players really view where the MLB players should be drafted. But I like fantasy pros because I'm willing to bet the majority of us, and I'm including myself in that, don't play the majority of our leagues on NFPC, but rather on Yahoo or ESPN or whatever. Now I filtered out ESPN because ESPN's rankings for a while, for like three, four weeks, which is really enough to muddle the pool, was inaccurate. They used their points rankings for their, or I should say their, yeah, their points rankings were the default for their, like, roto and head-to-head drafts. So the data is not accurate for ESPN, so I recommend leaving ESPN out. But I filtered Fantasy Pros for Yahoo, CBS, the NFBC, and Fantrax. Anyway, long story short, Tristan Cassis has a 230 ADP um, across those four platforms so far this draft season, and I think that's much too late. The three first basemen that go in front of him are DJ LeMayu, who you know I like, Joey Manessis, and Luis Arise. Even Josh Bell and Brandon Drury go in front of him, and I would take Tristan Cassis above all five of those dudes, even LeMahieu, who, again, I like. Going after him or Josh Naylor, no thank you. Miguel Vargas, who I do like a lot, um, but I'm willing to bet if you take Miguel Vargas, it's to play second base when he gets that eligibility, not for first or even for third if you're playing in a platform where he has third base eligibility. I mostly play mine on ESPN, ironically enough, um, and he does not have third base eligibility there. And Seth Brown is going after Cassis and Mancini. So, like this range from DJ LeMayhew to Trey Mancini, I really like Cassis the most. So let's talk about why. I mean, this spring, he's 18 for 55. He's batting 327 with three homers and a 959 OPS. Obviously, it's just spring training. I've gone on rants about this before. I realize that you don't need to remind me that it's only spring training. Thank you. I think a, a great example of why we know it's an example of spring training is because his walk-off homer that was a bomb the other night off of Atlanta um, was off of Joe Harvey, who's a 31-year-old career minor leaguer. That's not to fire shots at Joe Harvey. I wish I had your job, man. But it's not a ringing endorsement for Cassis. But you know what? He didn't strike out against Joe Harvey. He took him deep, which we want him to do. So far, he's got 16 strikeouts, 5 walks, and 68 plate appearances. I'm sorry, 61 plate appearances. That's good enough for an 8% walk rate and a 26% K rate, which – I expect the walk rate to be a little bit higher. I expect the K rate to maybe be around 26% um, this season, but we'll see. We're talking about a guy with 70-grade raw power. So Cass's problem, I I shouldn't even say problem, is that he hits to all fields a lot. Um, And and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But that's why that 70-grade raw power, he may not ever look like it. Like he might not ever be a 40-homer guy. But I still think he could be a thirty homer guy, um, based on based on the numbers that we're going to dive into here. So uh, the major league average fly ball rate in 2022 was 37.2, percent and I like to start there so we get a little baseline. What's the what's the major league average? Cassis's fly ball rate in 329 double A plate appearances back in 2021 was 40.9. That's noticeably higher than the major league average last season. In 2022, in 317 triple A plate appearances that inexplicably dropped thirty-two to two thirty-two point eight percent And it didn't get much better at the major league level through 95 plate appearances. That was at 35.8. So both numbers in 2022 at AAA and in the MLB, both of those numbers were below the league average 37.2%. That's going to work against his power, obviously. You're not going to hit home runs when you hit ground balls. It's just not going to happen unless you're a little leaguer. Now, with that said, we do have reasons for optimism, even though Cassis seems to be, who knows, maybe he could return to that 2021 fly ball rate that he had over 329 plate appearances. That was not a a tiny sample, but there's still reasons to be optimistic about his power, even though, you know, he does hit so many ground balls, or at least he has over the last calendar year. His home run to fly ball rate was consistently high throughout the minors. Um, It probably won't keep up the insane 26.3% he had through those 95 plate appearances with the Sox last year, but so long as he can maintain a 95.7 mile per hour exit velocity on fly balls and line drives, he should still hit enough home runs to be considered a power threat. That exit velocity on fly balls and line drives was higher than Acuna's, Goldschmidt's, Chisholm's, and Manny Machado's, and there's plenty of other names there, and that is nitpicking, obviously, I'm not saying to go take Tristan Cassis over any of those four players, but it does give me a little bit of hope that he does hit the ball with so much authority when he does hit it in the air. It's kind of like Juan Soto, right? When you look at Juan Soto's numbers under the hood, it's like, ooh, he might not hit for that many homers, but because when he does hit it in the air, he hits it so hard, we can still expect pretty good home run totals from Juan Soto. Now I'm not saying Cassis is Juan Soto either, but the logic is still there. Um, Alex Cora got me a little excited. He said there's a chance that Cassis is going to lead off some days for the Red Sox. That would have Rafael Devers sitting behind him. You have to think most of those games against right-handed pitchers will go to Alex Verdugo leading off. But to know that Cassis is in the mix with that awesome walk rate, um, especially you know he he got on base at a 358 clip last year. That was with a 197 batting average, and and we know his batting average is not going to be 197. He's too talented of a hitter. So that that on base percentage we could assume could be pretty high like really high which could lead him to getting some leadoff opportunities he does also go opposite field a lot which would also hurt his power so I know what you're thinking you're like wait a second Tristan Cass is supposed to be a power hitter but he hits the ball into the ground and he goes to the opposite field he's not really gonna be much of a power hitter but he does still hit it so hard in the air i mean this is a tough one because when he goes the opposite field at fenway it's going to be to the green monster so he doesn't only have to hit it hard he's going to have to hit it really high in the air and that do- obviously does make it really difficult but the mlb average opposite field percentage in 2022 is 24.7 cassis was at 29.2 in double a 32.5 percent in triple a so he is a guy who's going to go to the opposite field a lot like it you know with that said, one of his five homers at the Major League level last season was a 375-foot, 101.7-mile-per-hour, not that fast, nuke off of Domingo Herman. Um, that one opposite field, I just watched that highlight. Um, if you didn't know that, you can watch any padded ball, basically, from last season on StatCast. Um, it, that might even stretch into previous seasons, I don't know, but it's a pretty awesome feature. He also cleared the monster off Garrett Cole. So, yes, Garrett Cole gives up a lot of homers, but... Tristan Cassis, in his first 100 plate appearances, hit an opposite field home run that cleared the green monster off of Garrett Cole. Now, it was technically classified as straight away, but it did go above the monster in left center. Um, it was a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that he sent back 108.6 miles an hour and 411 feet. As a matter of fact, two of his home runs were pulled. The other three were all straight away or opposite field. So when the sample is this small, it's obviously very anecdotal and there's all sorts of issues with that, but he has demonstrated power to all fields and should not be written off as a power contributor like most guys with high ground ball rates and diverse spray charts. When he lifts the ball, it is on average very hard and he can make that work with his you know, profile of going the opposite way and, and hitting the ball on the ground a fair amount of the time. So I'm not out on Cassis as a power threat. There are things in the way. It'd be better if he didn't do those things. I mean, if he changes even one of those things, imagine how much power he could hit for. But he still has a very promising profile that I'm definitely interested in um, as we
0: march forward in draft season. All right. And I, I'm I'm with Pete on that. I've got Cassis on a couple teams. I actually felt like last year his price was a little higher than I wanted it to be. And so I don't have a lot of my long term leagues, a lot of my keeper leagues, a out of new leagues. But leagues I've been drafting this year, I think the price on him as, as Pete talked about has just been great. So I've been grabbing him, and that includes trying to pick him up in keeper leagues where I can because I think the long term value is awesome. As for the pitcher I have on this list, you know, I mentioned a few names earlier. Andrew Haney came up. I talked about Fran Valdez in that article, Ken Waldachuk, but George Kirby is really the guy I am. I'm just, I'm so glad I have him on so many teams. I am a sucker for pitchers with great control. Kirby last year, 9.21K per nine, 1.52 walks per nine. It's just, It's just gorgeous. I just love seeing that. The list of pitchers with a better strikeout-to-walk ratio last year, Nola, Gaussman, Kluber, Lynn, Verlander. That's it. Behind him, you get Kershaw, Stripling, Bieber, Darvish, Freed, just great company to be in. And his walking strikeout rates were pretty steady last year. Both trended up a little bit as the year went on, but only slightly. He basically came out as a rookie in his debut, had that control, had, had decent K rates, and just kept it there. Kirby uses a six-pitch mix, according to Baseball Savant, throws three fastballs, leans on his four-seamer 45% of the time, and has five other pitches between 8 and 14%, a curve, a cutter, a sinker, a slider, and a change. He's also been working on a split-finger pitch this offseason. With that deep and varied repertoire, there's a couple of thoughts here. One, um, Jeff Zimmerman has a a tweet He, he pops up every once in a while about, you know, should you be using more than five pitches or five or more pitches? And it's a, it's a flow chart where it's basically, are you, you Darvish? If so, then yes, go up for it. If not, you know, cut back. Kirby is not you Darvish. Uh, he's probably closer to you Darvish than a lot of people realize, but he's not you Darvish. But with that varied a repertoire, I, I think he can make some tweaks and improvements and, and lean on some better pitches, get rid of some worse ones, maybe replace the change with a split finger. Like we'll have to see how this all comes together but there's a real opportunity to improve if he can optimize his pitch mix a bit which is something that it makes sense that as a rookie year he sort of he did what he was comfortable with he used the pitches he likes and it might be a little too much hopefully he's working with the team his you know his fellow pitchers on that team the pitching staff all that to to figure out like how does he go from a guy who pitches well with six pitches to a great pitcher with four something like that we'll have to see what direction that goes but i think there's real opportunity for him there Adding to all that, he's got a great park to pitch in, strong bullpen to hold leads for him, solid offense to give him runs. It's, it's really just an ideal situation, and I'm just all in on George Kirby. Okay, before we have Pete talk about his pitcher, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We're continuing on with the players we roster at a high rate that we are excited to roster, and the next guy, this is a guy that Pete and I were both pretty high on last year, and it didn't go particularly well, but Pete's still in. I'm I've sort of backed off a bit, but but I don't know. Listen to Pete. I'm, I'm sort of convinced that I should be more invested in this pitcher. Cassis isn't the only player that I have a lot of shares of. The pitcher that
1: I chose for this activity is one that uh, is maybe a little bit more controversial. And that's Jack Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals. So Fantasy Pros ADP. Again, I'm filtering out ESPN. So this is uh, Yahoo, Fantrax, NFBC, CBS. I think that's I think that's all of it. Um, ADP of 222. So the three starting pitchers going before Jack Flaherty are Sonny Gray, yeah Merrill Kelly eh. Andrew Heaney eh. I'd rather have Jack Flaherty than those guys and the pitchers going after those are those are the ones that are more interesting to me anyway um Reed Detmers Hunter Brown Edward Cabrera who looks like he's going to beat out Braxton Garrett for that fifth spot in the Marlins rotation Lance McCullers who might actually be healthy who knows we'll see um Alex Cobb Jose Urquidy those guys are also going after him there's a few names there um Detmers and Cabrera particularly come to mind that I might take above Flaherty but I have a lot of Jack Flaherty I've got a lot a lot a lot of Jack Flaherty this year and when you look at the last couple seasons then you look at the spring training you look at the injury history you're probably like yeah I'm not interested spring training this year 19.2 innings pitched a 6.41 ERA that's not good only 15 strikeouts in those almost 20 innings pitched in a 1.68 whip This is where I get to play the card of it's just spring training. I'm only kidding. I want to see Jack Flaherty pitching well in spring training, but he hasn't. So why are there still reasons for optimism? Um, Well, it's not the fact that in his last outing, only 39 of his 69 pitches were thrown for strikes. That's concerning to me because if the command and the control still aren't there, I'm, I'm going to be wondering is he still injured. But let's look at a timeline of Jack Flaherty in regards to this injury history. And we're going to go back to the second half of 2019, which I've brought up a few times on the show over the last month or so when talking about Jack Flaherty. Um, 99.1 innings pitched in the second half of 2019, 124 strikeouts, 0.91 ERA, backed up by a 2.22 FIP, so, you know, still elite, and a 0.71 whip. That's how he closed out 2019. Then we get the shortened COVID season. And for the Cardinals, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the Cardinals had a particularly weird COVID season. I mean, everybody did. But they, like, I, I can't even remember. They, like, got shut down for two different weeks or something. I know the Marlins dealt with similar stuff. Maybe it was in relation. I don't know. Can't remember. A lot of weird stuff going on. Going to ignore the shortened 2020. Jack Flair had only made nine starts. That takes us to 2021. His first 11 starts of 2021 – He just picked up right where he left off in 2019, eight and one record, 62 innings pitched, 67 strikeouts, 2.90 ERA, 1.03 whip. Still dominant. If we ignore 2020, this is now a very extended stretch of strong pitching from a young pitcher. Then while batting, which he won't do anymore, by the way, he suffered an oblique strain. And this kick started a bit of a disaster for the career of Jack Flaherty. He came back and then had a shoulder strain. From there, he only threw 16 and a third innings pitched after that oblique strain. So I, 2021 started amazing and then got completely derailed because of an at-bat that he had um, and then came back, obviously suffered the shoulder strain. Now, in 2022, Cardinals fans probably know this. I'm sure they do. I'm not sure everyone does. I mean, we knew that there was not no communication allowed between the players due to the lockout um, in the organizations, but that really hurt guys like Jack Flaherty. Because Flaherty had no communication with the Cardinals medical team because of the lockout. And he was having discomfort. And for 99 days, during the most important time of the season, the ramp up to the season, he was cut off from team medical staff. He started the year on the IL when we finally got going. Um, and he pushed the Cardinals to rush him back. He was supposed to have at least two more rehab outings where you know he would have been on a strict pitch count, you know, easier setting, less stress in the arm, and work and back. Instead, he pushed them, not blaming him. Of course, the player's going to push. It's up to the organization to say no when it's, you know, your franchise pitcher. But instead, the Cardinals caved and they let Flaherty return early. They immediately had to shut him down with, quote, dead arm um, due to bursitis in his shoulder. He came back in September. He looked so-so. The velocity was up a little, but the command wasn't there yet. The strikeouts weren't there. Um, And that's how he closed out 2022. So the question is, is the shoulder okay? Well, he was hitting 95 miles an hour in his last inning against the Nationals. In the fifth inning, he was hitting 95 miles an hour. And last year, he only averaged 93.3 on the fastball while dealing with those shoulder injuries, his lowest mark since 2018. If you ask Jack Flaherty his own words, um, he feels like, quote, it's there. It feels good. The ball's coming out good. He seems to think he's healthy, um, and he hasn't had any health hiccups this spring. It would make sense that a pitcher who's dealt with all of this over the last few seasons has a bit of a tough spring and has to knock out the cobwebs and, you know, oil the machine or whatever other <laughs> expression you want to use. But I'm I'm excited about Jack Flaherty. Like, the fact that he hasn't had any hiccups and the velocity does look good. Like, I don't care what the numbers are if those are the cases for this particular player. It's also worth noting if you really are hung up on the spring stats, he's faced the Astros in four of his five starts. He even acknowledged in an interview that, like, when he finally faced the Nationals, he's like, Yeah, it was nice to, you know, see some other hitters and see how they would react to, you know, what he's throwing and all that, less familiar faces. In that interview, um, and against the Nationals, it's not like he was shot down. Four and two thirds innings pitched, nine hits. That's not great. They had a great attitude about it. He talked about how the long innings were not ideal, but he's still able to take things from it, which is what the spring is all about as he gets ready for the season. This is a player with a 3.41 career ERA over 523 in a third innings pitched. 523 in a third innings pitched with 600 strikeouts. Just a 1.11 whip, and he's only 27 years old. So the question for me is not going to be performance. It's going to be, is he healthy? And if he looks healthy this spring, which he kind of does,
0: then I'm in. And that's why I have so many shares of Jack Flaherty. All right. Very nice, Pete. And I I get it. I think the the idea that he's healthy is sort of the most important thing. We know what he's capable of pitching. I just worry that those injuries at this point have sort of taken their toll and he just that the ceiling won't be there anymore for him. But given what his cost is and everything, yeah, I, I, I can understand taking that bet for sure. Now we're going to switch over, go to the other end of the spectrum, guys. We wish we had on more of our rosters. And we'll start with Pete for this one, guy I also like. And I'm, I've am i been sort of down on him because of some issues with the K rate. But Pete's got a pretty good explanation for it. I'm, I'm feeling a little better about this guy than I was before. And we'll let Pete talk to us about Josh Young. In terms of players I want to get more of as draft season closes out, the hitter I want is
1: Josh Young. Right now, according to Fantasy Pros, and again, recording on Monday, March 27th, Josh Young is going on average at pick 248. The three third basemen before him are John Birdie, Justin Turner, and Josh Rojas. There's no way that's the case for Birdie and Rojas lately. I mean, this is a pretty comprehensive look at ADP. Obviously, it involves pre-rankings and all sorts of stuff that could uh, dilute the pool. I like it for just kind of a big picture picture in general in most leagues, where are these players going. But I'm willing to bet more recently because of the spring training he's having, And obviously because of the injury to Josh Rojas that Josh Young is in fact going higher than two of those guys. I don't know if he's going higher than Justin Turner. The three that are going after him at the position, Brennan Donovan, um, Luis Urias, and um, Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz is going there. Um, I like Young more than all of those guys. That does include the Red Sox, Justin Turner. I want that out there that I'm, even though this year I appear to be very biased towards Red Sox players, (laughs) I do like Josh Young more than I like Justin Turner this year. Um, So far this spring, Young is 15 for 47. That's a 319 average with three homers and a 10.06 OPS. Obviously awesome. He's having an excellent spring. Roster Resource has him batting fifth behind Corey Seager, Nate Lowe, and Adelise Garcia. That's a pretty good group to hit behind. I would like someone with a little bit higher of an OBP in front of him. I think that would help the RBI numbers if it wasn't Adelise Garcia. But, you know, we'll see how the lineup ends up, and um, I still think with with Lowe and Seeger in front of him as well that Young could put up some awesome RBI numbers. Now, a 38.2% K rate uh, and a 3.9% walk rate, they just won't cut it. They just won't. But that was only through 102 plate appearances at the MLB level last year, even though the numbers weren't great at AAA either, I guess. So on 106 AAA plate appearances last year, that was a 28.3% K rate, so definitely better than 38% still bad and still just a 3.8 walk percentage which is which is just not good with all that said the numbers throughout the rest of his minor league career are much much better um it's tough to not look at the 2022 numbers especially since that was the highest level of competition that he's faced but it was it's also easy to just look at as a combination of returning from a torn labrum he suffered right before spring training started and adjusting to major league pitching Um, He tore that labrum in February before camp. So he went into those minor league opportunities cold, clearly wasn't having a good time in the minor leagues, but was still promoted to the major leagues um, where pitchers were able to feast on him um, resulting in that near 40% K rate. But this is a guy who is a a, a top prospect, right? And he's got high end pedigree. He was an eighth overall pick in 2019 Um, in the projection systems, man. On Josh Young, they like him. Right now, if you looked at Josh Young's projections on Fangraphs, so if you look at their Zips DC, um, which basically takes the Zips projection and prorates that out based on the playtime that Fangraphs' depth charts suggest that he's going to get or that a player is going to get. In Josh Young's case, his Zips projections prorated out are 23 homers, 85 RBI, 4 stolen bases, 62 runs, and a 250 average. That's with a 114 WRC+. So that's not like, you know, some top 50 player or anything like that, but that's pretty good. And that's only through 125 games. If he plays 150, now we're talking about closer to 30 homers, potentially 90 RBI. He's not that far from it. Um so he it would he would need to make some gains here. Um he would need to cut that strikeout rate first and foremost. Um the Zips projection has him for a 27.9% strikeout rate, which would be a, a 10 percentage point drop from where it was last year. And again, just 102 plate appearances is not to belabor the point, but it is kind of eye-popping. Um those projections give me some encouragement for a player that I know a lot of smart people were in on. We had Matt Heckman on last year and he was all in on Josh Young. I'm sure he hasn't changed at all because Young hasn't given us a reason to change our minds, other than, again, a very, very small sample. And while 2022 kind of was a largely disastrous thing for Young, you know, the shoulder injury and surgery, followed by just strikeout after strikeout, there was reason for some optimism. Um, Even in that disaster, he had a a barrel rate over 10%. He pulled the ball almost 48% of the time, the league average is 36.8% on StatCast. He pulled it 48% of the time. Those are obviously good signs for somebody that we want to get a lot of power from. Like, if you draft Josh Young, it's not for speed or for batting average. You draft maybe one day it'll be for batting average. But right now, you're drafting him for, for power. And if he's pulling the ball that much, barreling the ball that much, those are good signs. Not that a 10% barrel rate is crazy, but it's it's so good. Um, He's only struck out seven times in 52 spring plate appearances. I kind of want to close on that he only struck out seven times in 52 spring plate appearances. Now, he's only walked three times in that time frame, and that is a 5.8% walk rate, so still not great, better than where it was last year. But seven divided by 52, let's see what that is. His strikeout rate this spring is 13%. I wouldn't expect that this season. That would be a ridiculous jump. But um, he's locked in. He's making contact, and if he improves that K rate, continues to pull the ball, continues to barrel the ball. Josh Young could be sneaky value at a, in a good lineup, in a decent spot in that lineup. Um, so considering where he's going and the players around him, I want to get
0: more shares of Josh Young. All right, so Pete wishes he had more Josh Young on his roster. For me, another infielder, another young infielder, Jonathan India. Now, maybe I just don't have so much of India because I have so much of Jimenez. I guess that could be related, but... I sort of think the bottom has dropped too far on the India market. A little bit of an overcorrection after it was probably too strong last offseason. There's a set of second basemen going after the top 10, per that Fantasy Pros ADP that Pete mentioned before. From 156 to 176, you get Cronenworth, Merrifield, McNeil, Polanco, and India. Now, I actually like four of those five, at least to some degree. I sort of think Whit Merrifield's just done, and so I'm not that excited about him. And I'm pretty high on three of those guys. McNeil, India, and Polanco are all guys I'm I'm very high on. Cronenworth to me is more of a a floor play. I I like him, but he's a, I don't see a lot of upside there. I don't think he's going to do anything crazy for you, but he's not going to hurt you. And and there's some real value in players like that. Polanco, while I'm high on him, is obviously hurt. That's another issue. But let's sort of leave that aside for now. Hopefully he'll be back soon. And that injury is, is relatively new news. And I don't think it's had a huge impact on his ADP yet. It's probably pushed it down a bit. So, that said, of that group of five, India is the cheapest. He went 21-12, 21 homers, 12 stolen bases, with a 269 average in 2021. Yes, 2022 was bad. He was hurt. He never really got on track. He just he struggled from the get-go. It, it was pretty ugly. Second half, however. Walk rate came back. He had six homers in 63 games, which gets you back to a 16 17 home run pace. He's in an ideal park to hit, should be leading off. And if not that, he'll be near the top of the lineup. And it's not a great lineup, but there's enough around him, especially if he's near the top, to help with runs. And if he's not leading off with RBIs as well. In auto new leagues or other OBP leagues, as I said, the walk rate was already coming back. And we know that he's got a great eye and can draw walks with the best of them. If you can bank that, add in 20 homer power, like this is a profile that feels pretty good there's a lot to like here and you go back to that group of players we talked about like I think India is just better than Cronenworth for fantasy I think he's better than Whit Merrifield right now given what I I just don't expect much from Whit I like Polanco more than India if they were both healthy but Polanco's already hurt this injury has been lingering and I suppose I should be concerned about health and performance from India but I have bigger concerns with with Polanco McNeil's actually a fairly decent comp high on base percentage not a ton of power, but at least some, but India is going to give you more power. He's going to give you more speed. McNeil should have a better average, probably more runs in RBIs given that lineup, although runs could be up in the air if McNeil's not hitting near the top and India is. In points leagues, they both bring the OBP. India's power plays up more while the runs in RBIs matter less. And I just, I don't think India should be going at the end of that group. And so if I can wait for that group to get sort of picked and take India last... I just wish I had done that more often. As it happens, I, I I tended to take second baseman early and so I I by the time India was coming around, I just I just wasn't in the market for a second baseman. But in retrospect, I'm looking back and thinking like, man, I could have waited in some of those leagues where I where I jumped early on an Albies or an Altuve or someone, gotten a different bat and been very happy to get India, you know, at 176, closer to 200. Like that that's that's a pretty great place to pick him up. Sort of wish I'd done that never really did i've got him on one roster the one roster i have him on is uh, i believe an auto new roster just going to double check that right now yeah it's an auto new roster uh in the keeper cut listener league as a matter of fact it's the one roster where i still have jonathan india i I cut him in a couple places where i thought his price got too high and was hoping to buy him back at at a better price didn't end up working out anywhere and i just you know looking back at my draft season and my auction season and how things have gone. Like I wish I had Jonathan India and more rosters. You know, we talked, I said before that it's not a great lineup and I think that's true. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not going to sort of flip around now and be like, Oh, it's a fantastic lineup. But like, there's some interesting young bats and some interesting upside in that Cincinnati lineup. And I, I just, I sort of wish I was more invested in India to take advantage of both what he's capable of and what I think could happen with guys like Jake Fraley, TJ Fridell, Will Benson, Spencer Steer, Tyler Stevenson. Like there's some interesting names in that lineup. And India, if he's hitting at the top of that, especially in those points leagues, especially in those outer new leagues, where those extra plate appearances really matter. Like there's a lot to like there. And I I just wish I had wish I'd been more aggressive about picking him up where I could. With that, we each also wanted to pick a pitcher we wished we were more exposed to. And Pete's back on the the homer train. He's got another red sack for you, and this time it's Chris Sale.
1: That takes me to my final player for this exercise, my big homer pick here, which is, of course, Chris Sale, um, the pitcher that I want more shares of. And I already have a lot. I easily could have picked him instead of Flaherty for my player I have the most shares of, but I do have more Flaherty shares than Chris Sale. Um, Sales Fantasy Pros ADP, again, discounting ESPN. We're, we're getting rid of ESPN, but we're using Yahoo! we're using all those ones I've mentioned three times now, NFVC, Fantrax, whatever, um, is 145.3. That's higher than the players we've been talking about in Young and Cassis and in Flaherty, um, or I should say earlier. The three pitchers going in front of him are Joe Ryan, um, Chris Bassett, and Jesus Luzardo, who, you know, okay, those are those are three good pitchers. The three going after him, it looks like a little bit of a teardrop. Um, at least if you look at the three, I'd really have to dive into all the names after Chris Sale to decide if it's a teardrop or not. But uh, Dustin May, Charlie Morton, and uh, who do we have there? Jeffrey Springs. Jeffrey Springs. Now, Jeffrey Springs gaining a lot of steam. I heard about, you know, how high he was going in main events this weekend. You know, his ADP was like 127 or something like that, something crazy. Um, Springs is having a great spring. Um but I'd still take Chris Sale over him. I'd take Chris Sale over all six of these names. Ryan, Bassett, Lazardo, May, Morton, and Springs. I know, I'm a homer. But if we're going to do the timeline thing with Flaherty, I think we have to do it with Chris Sale. Because Chris Sale has been labeled as injury-prone, and I I think I think that's a debatable label, which maybe sounds crazy and homeristic and, and everything else. But let, let, let's look at the timeline here. In 2018... Um, he dealt with shoulder inflammation, and he landed on the IL on July 31st. I think, I'm not a doctor, obviously, I don't even know why I need to clarify that, I think this may have been like the first signs, or I should say symptoms, of his torn UCL. Um, I realized the UCL is in the elbow, but it felt like no one knew what was going on with his shoulder. It's not like he had surgery or anything like that, he shut him down. He was shut down for just a little bit. Before the injury that season, he was 11-4, and 2.04 ERA, started the All-Star game. He he came back after the injury, returned with crazy high velocity, hucking 100 miles an hour against Baltimore on August 12th. So it was like, okay, quick little shutdown. July 31st comes back August 12th and is throwing 100 miles an hour. He seems fine. He then immediately got shut down again on August 18th um, due to that same issue. We didn't know what the heck was going on with Chris Sale. He basically returned for the playoffs. I think he threw one inning before the playoffs. Um, He did make one start in the playoffs. It wasn't particularly long. He did make a few relief appearances, though, most notably striking out Manny Machado to close out the clinching game of the World Series. Not to rub it into Dodgers fans, but pretty awesome moment. But it was clear that like Chris Hale wasn't himself. He was hurt. So that takes us to 2019. The offseason arrest. His season started terribly in 2019. He settled in, he returned to form, he had that like 17 strikeout game against the Rockies or whatever, and then in mid-August, he went on the I.L. with an elbow injury. Eventually, we realized he needed Tommy John, and he didn't get that surgery until March 19th, um, who knows how much of that was like, well, we might as well just get it now because this season is going to be a joke, it's going to be a month or two months, whatever the 2020 season ended up being, it's going to be 60 games, so Chris Hill gets the surgery, Um, and that takes us, you know, through 2020, he obviously missed the entire shortened season after the elbow surgery. Um, and in 2021, he doesn't return from that Tommy John until August 14th. So that's a lot of time in between, a lot of time in between. Um, he threw his third immaculate inning, um, of his career. When he came back, he was placed on the COVID IL in September. That doesn't make him injury prone. That makes him a human. He got COVID. Um, and he finished that season with nine games started, you know, coming back from Tommy John, nine starts. 5-1 5-1 record, 3.16 ERA, 52 strikeouts in 42 and two-thirds innings pitched. Chris Sale's back. Then that takes us to 2022, where before the season started in February, he fractured his rib throwing batting practice. Then he comes back and he was struck by a line drive, breaking his pinky in July. And then in August, he fell off a, bri- a bike, not a bike, a bike, and broke his wrist. So, like... I don't know, man, a rib fracture off throwing batting practice, a line drive breaking his pinky and a bike accident. Does that make him injury prone or just some guy with really bad luck? I mean, that that's kind of up to you and your comfortability drafting him. But this is a guy who before all of this started in 2018, he made 29 starts in 2012, 30 in 13, 26 in 14, 31 starts in, fi- in 2015, 32 starts in 2016, 32 starts in 2017. Really, until the arm issues started to creep in, that climax with Tommy John surgery that happens to a lot of guys, he was a workhorse. And he feels good right now. He's been hitting 96 on the gun this spring. He's been mostly fine outside of a bad outing against Baltimore, but more importantly is that he's held up. He feels good, and the velocity's there. This was a, a quote from Boston.com after his last start against the Twins. I appreciate having these times and situations where I can work out of it and there's not high stakes. So this was, this was in reference to he got, he got a little touched up by the Twins. You know, he had some long innings. This preparation, this is Chris Sale, this preparation is what gives you the confidence to go out there and do that. I feel like this spring training, from the start to where I am now, I did all the things that I really needed to do. All of the focus was in all of the right spots. There wasn't a lot of wasted energy on a lot of the stuff I had to work on a couple years ago. It was really getting back to the basics of pitching and getting stronger and the building blocks everyone has to work on. So I'm just happy of that, and I'm appreciative of it and ready to go. This is a guy who just wants to pitch. He wants to play. He's been talking about it. He owes the organization. He owes the fans, whatever. He really doesn't. He's just a guy who's had some bad luck and dealt with injuries. But he's a heck of a pitcher, and he's healthy. And so if you think he's injury-prone because he keeps having these freak accidents, I don't blame you, you know? Stay away. Take Joe Ryan. Take Jesus Lizardo. He could work out great. But if you want a player with elite upside, and I'm going to say it, Chris Sale still has top 10 starting pitcher upside. Velocity's still there. I have no reason to think he can't throw that slider anymore. Then, like, take the guy. He's still really good, um, and he's healthy. And if he is finally put the Tommy John surgery and the bad luck woes behind him, um, then I think he could put forward a pretty pretty awesome season. Will he have a little bit of an innings cap? Could he have a phantom IL stint just to make sure he doesn't take on too much coming off of so many injury-riddled seasons? Maybe. But if Chris Sale makes you know, 25 starts, if he throws 150 innings, don't you just think those are probably going to be really, really good innings? Maybe I'm biased. I think they're going to be, and I want more Chris Sale shares as we close out draft season of 2023. So there's your four names. I've got a lot of casts. I've got a lot of Flaherty. I like them both. And I want more Josh Young. And I want more Chris Sale.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Sale. I also don't really have him. I'm not sure I have him anywhere, in fact. And I'm sort of shocked by that because I agree with everything Pete said. It's like these injuries... You know, am I counting on two hundred innings from him? No, but I'm not counting on that from anybody. And his injuries don't look like the kind of thing that are like lingering. It's just he just keeps getting some bad luck, I think. So that said, the pitcher I picked who I have on just one roster, um, that is in one of the let's see, I think it's in one of our listener leagues. Yes. Oh no, it's in a dynasty league I'm in. So a, a, a dynasty league I'm in with part of the pitcherless community that I've got Joe Ryan. I really wish I had more exposure to Ryan and I am I'm literally in the middle of trying to trade for him in one of my leagues right now. Now, Joe Ryan is my pitcher in part because Ryan has flashed that George Kirby like control and command that I talked about. Like in the past in the minors always had good numbers in terms of walk rates. His command grades as a prospect were always good. There's just it's the profile I like. In addition, Ryan made 27 starts last year. He threw 147 innings. And I suspect we're on our way to thinking of him as almost like a reliable workhorse. Now, we'll see if that holds. It's still early for that. But there's a couple things working in his favor. One, the time he missed last year was due to COVID, not due to injuries. So there's no real reason to think he needs to be sort of worried about in terms of arm health. at least, you know, knock on wood, right? I mean, every pitcher is an arm, <laughs> is an arm health risk, but not more so than others. I think he's pretty reliable from that standpoint. In addition, the twins seem ready to sort of, you know, give him a little bit more leeway now that he's in his second full season. And I think he'll be closer to maybe six innings per start rather than the, you know, barely five he was putting up last year. And from that, you know, you start thinking about that and like, you get closer to 30 starts, you get closer to six innings, like 170, 180 innings seems very much within reach and, and that's, you know, there aren't that many pitchers who I think are going to get to that level. And it's, it's there's probably some optimism in me thinking he's going to get there, but I sort of think he's a decent bet to do it. And that alone, honestly, would be, that'd be big. Like if, if he just sort of does what he was doing for that many innings, that's great. However, Ryan also wanted to improve his secondaries and he did the thing that all smart analytically minded baseball players do when they want to improve they called driveline he went to driveline in the off season he apparently went right after the season ended he wanted them to sort of see him when he was still in game shape rather than you know take a couple months off rest then show up and you know no let it let him see what you're doing when you're when you're at full strength and his goal was to primarily it sounds like work on his slider he is saying he got good results from that you know it is. It always remains to be seen, right? You want to see these guys in a real major league game against real major league hitters and then figure out, you know, okay, did this work out? Were they, were they making the improvements we thought they were making? That said, we do have spring training data. And, you know, Pete threw out the caveat, I think, 43 times that, you know, it's spring. You can't really count on it. It's not the same. Totally get that. That said. 15 and a third innings, 20 strikeouts, three walks, just one home run allowed. Those are great numbers. And for what it's worth, one of those three walks was in his first appearance way back in February 26th. He went one and a third inning with a strikeout and a walk. If you sort of, you know, first start back in spring, he's just getting going an inning just to sort of get the rust off, throw that away. His last 14 innings, 19 strikeouts, two walks. That's the kind of numbers I'm looking for from Joe Ryan. And that's why I'm I, I wish I had him in more places because I think there's real potential for a big breakout here. And look, like I said before, even if there's no improvement, even if it turns out that slider was just a spring mirage, it's you know, maybe it's better, maybe it's not, but it's not really making that much of a difference. You've got an excellent pitcher repeating his 2022 with probably at least 15 to 20 more innings. I think probably more than that. And that's that's great. That's good value where he's going in drafts. If the K rate is up because he's got this slider working better, he can make a leap. If the K rate is up and those command grades from his prospect days, the control he showed in the past allows him to bring down the walks as well. There's an ace level arm in here waiting to be unlocked. Now, is he going to pitch? Is he going to win a Cy Young award this year? Probably not. Like, I I wouldn't count on that. Uh, Is he ever going to win a Cy Young award? Also, probably not. Most pitchers don't. But the, the upside exists. Like, there's a lot of pitchers where you're like, oh, you know, think about it. If they just made these four changes, blah, 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 like, who knows what they could do? We're not really, you don't have to dream that much on Ryan in that way, right? We've already seen 15 innings of this new slider driving up his strikeout rate. We've already seen him in the past show an elite walk rate in the minors. Like, it, it could come together. And I, I think there's reason to believe he's capable of doing that. Part of the reason I like that he went to Driveline isn't just that Driveline is good at helping pitchers get better, but it shows that like he's not happy with how last year went. I mean, I'm sure he's not unhappy. He had a good year. He should be happy. He should, but he's not. Uh, he's not resting on that. He's not comfortable with that. He's not saying, "Yeah, I had a good year. That's good enough." Like he wants to take that next step, and he's got the ability to do it. I think so. I wish. I had been more aggressive, like I said, on India. I wish I'd been more aggressive on picking up India. I wish I'd been more aggressive on picking up Joe Ryan. I wasn't. I've only got him on that one team. I'm glad it's a dynasty team. At least I'll get to keep him around for a while, but it's a little bit sad for me that I don't have more Joe Ryan. When we start talking about ADP, which I I really haven't brought up yet on Ryan, but he's going about the 43rd pitcher off the board, according to that Fantasy Pros ADP. He's actually going right before... Chris Sale, which it's kind of funny that we both talked about them, but look at the guys going ahead of him and like I like Ryan more than Freddie Peralta given I think he has more he's gonna have more reliable innings. I like him more than Lucas Giolito given how much Giolito struggled last year my concerns with him. I like him more than Chris Bassett in Toronto. Now, Luis Castillo, uh someone will have to explain to me why he's 39th off the board. That's just nuts. He should be going much, much earlier. But there's other guys here, like, I'd rather have Ryan than Kyle Wright at this point. I like him more than Severino, given the injury risk. I think there's other names like Logan Gilbert's up above him. I think I like Ryan more than Gilbert. So I, there's there's a handful of guys here where, man, I I wish I had just been more aggressive about going to get Joe Ryan. I wasn't. Don't have him that much. Hopefully you can learn from my mistakes and And be in a better place because of it. But yeah. So those are eight players that we either have on a lot of rosters. And are thrilled about. Or don't have on very many rosters. And wish we did. Again Pete talked about Tristan Cassis. The sort of concerns around the ground ball rate. Maybe some power questions. But some belief that he can tap into that power when he elevates the ball. Talked about Jack Flaherty. And and feeling like right now the key for him is health. And if he's healthy we know what he's capable of. Josh Young. Good reason to sort of temper those concerns about the strikeout rate and buy into the upside. And then Chris Sale, sort of like Flaherty, he's he's healthy right now. He looks healthy, that's for sure. And the injuries he's had are not things that you worry about sort of recurring, at least not like you do with elbow or shoulder issues or things like that. For me, I talked about Andres Jimenez, who I, I just believe in the growth he has shown and the development path he is on. I talked about George Kirby and, and really being high on his his whole profile, right? The command and control profile, but also the, the mix of pitches and the ability to make some tweaks and, and find another level. Wish I had spent a little bit more energy getting Jonathan India. I think he's going to bounce back in a nice way. And then Joe Ryan, who I think is is ready to take the next step. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I think you know, my, my advice here would be go get all of these guys. If you can, if I had to pick one of my four, if I was like, oh, you, you should go get one of these four at their cost. I think it might be Ryan, but honestly, I'd be, be really happy with, with any of them given what they cost and what it would take to get them with that. Hopefully by next week, we'll be, you know, actually recording together. You'll hear us talking to each other. We'll be able to, uh, have a more pleasant conversation rather than this sort of weird semi back and forth thing that we are doing. But with our episodes coming out on Wednesdays, between now and then, you get opening day real baseball that really matters, not meaningless stuff like the World Baseball Classic. Right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm a I love the World Baseball Classic. Don't don't lump me in with all the people calling it meaningless. But these are real regular season Major League games. I'm super excited. I will be going to opening night here in Seattle. Check out my guardians coming across the country for opening night. Very kind of them to do that. Big thanks to the MLB schedule makers for making that possible. And by next week, we'll be ready to you know overreact to small samples all over again. We'll go from warning you that you know spring training data has to be taken with a grain of salt to six games isn't a real sample size. So either way, I'm excited about it. This is it. Season's going to start. Can't wait. And we'll talk to you next week.